morning, everyone. This is Father Caleb Miller with Emmanuel Anglican Church. This is our worship service for the morning of Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Today is Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of Holy Week. The procession with palms, which was already observed in Jerusalem in the 4th century, calls to mind the triumphal entry of Jesus, our Lord and King, into Jerusalem. The procession is fundamentally an act of worship, witness, and devotion to our Lord. Palm Sunday is a unique Sunday in that we have two gospel readings this morning. Originally, these were two distinct liturgies. The palms were blessed, and the triumphal entry gospel was read outside of the church building, and the door of the church represented the gate through which Jesus entered the city. The purpose of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem was to fulfill his Father's will. Thus, it is fitting that this service continues with the reading of the Passion Gospel, in which the whole story of the week is anticipated. The emphasis of the liturgy turns to the days that lie ahead in Holy Week. We who hail Jesus as King one moment may in the next deny him, even joining with the crowd in shouting, Crucify him. Here this morning as we begin our worship, I do want to offer just a few announcements. First, I want to uh, just continually remind, continually to encourage folks to stay in touch with one another. It's really important in this time of physical isolation to stay in touch. It's too easy for us to hunker down and to build up borders and walls around ourselves. And, and that's a, a way of, of actually a sickness, I think. We need to stay in touch. Uh, we have amazing technology. We have the ability with our phones to FaceTime with family, friends, and neighbors. We have the ability to text, to email, to call. We need to stay in touch with one another. We, we are built as social creatures to be together. I really want to encourage you as well during this difficult time to really invest in spiritual disciplines. It's in the midst of our difficult times that sometimes we draw closer to God and we feel, we know that God draws closer to us. And so I encourage you to read your Bibles, be in prayer, join in corporate worship as best as possible using live stream, using Facebook Live, uh, using the, 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 what we have given to us. We can connect with one another. We can pray with one another. We read the Bible with one another. And if you need resources, please let us know. We're happy to uh, provide those for you. Another spiritual discipline that's really important is the discipline of giving financially. This is often referred to as tithing. It's an offering of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord for his many blessings. And folks, money is the muscle for ministry. It is the oil for the engine. It lubricates things. It moves things forward. It gets things done. And now in this time of crisis, our ability to keep the lights on, our ability to be in contact through technology, our ability to help others is all the more important and all the more dependent upon your giving as a spiritual discipline. Emmanuel Church now has the ability to receive online giving. You can give through texting. Either go to our website and access the online giving form there at iacdestin.org or text the word GIVE to 850-818-8360 
for that convenient and safe way to give. We're using a company called Kindred. It is safe and secure. And of course, you can continue to mail in your tithing as well. I want to remind folks as much as I can, laugh. Laugh is, laughter is so important. Just being together, yes, as best we can, but, but laughing over a good joke or a stupid TV show. Laughter can help us cope. We humans have this amazing capacity to find humor in the worst situations. I think God made us this way because of exactly what we endure under the curse of sin in life in this darkened world. I believe that laughter is a grace of God. And finally, as we look forward to Holy Week this Palm Sunday, I'd like to remind everyone that we will be having our prayer vigil beginning at 9 p.m. on Monday, Thursday and ending at noon on Good Friday. really want to encourage you to sign up for this. That way we know that we have all of the schedule covered. Uh, please email your top three time slot choices to emmanuel at iacdestin.org, and we will sign you up, and we will email you prayer resources for that vigil. With all that being said, let us turn our attention to the Lord and let us begin our Palm Sunday worship using the Liturgy of the Palms. You'll find it printed on page 5 of your liturgical booklet. Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Dear brothers and sisters, from the beginning of Lent until now, we have been preparing our hearts by repentance and self-sacrifice. Today, with the whole church, we herald the beginning of the celebration of the Paschal Mystery. On this day, our Lord Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem and was welcomed as King with palms and shouts of praise. Today we greet him as our King, though we know his crown was a crown of thorns and his throne a cross. Therefore, I invite you to follow our Lord this Holy Week from his triumphal entry through his suffering and death to the glory of his resurrection. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Let us pray. Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you have given us life and immortality. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We hear this morning of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem by reading the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. We praise you, Almighty God, for the acts of love by which you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. On this day he entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph and was hailed as king by those who spread their garments and branches of palm along his way. Sanctify these branches with your blessing, we humbly pray, that they may be for us signs of his victory. Grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our king and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let us go forth in peace. In the name of Christ, amen. And as we go forth here uh, with the procession, let us say together, all glory, laud, and honor, that begins at the bottom of page 6. All glory, laud, and honor to thee, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. Thou art the King of Israel, thou David's royal son, who in the Lord's name comest, the King and Blessed One. The company of angels are praising thee on high, and mortal men and all things created make reply. The people of the Hebrews with palms before thee went, our praise and prayer and anthems before thee we present. To thee before thy passion they sang their hymns of praise, to thee now high exalted our melody we raise. Thou didst accept their praises, accept the prayers we bring who in all good delightest, thou good and gracious King. Here is a reading of Psalm 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. 
Almighty and everlasting God, in your tender love for us, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and come to share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of the book of Isaiah, starting uh, at the 52nd chapter, the 13th verse of the 52nd chapter. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which was not seen and has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should despise him or desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his, his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in, in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning as we read the Passion of Jesus, we uh, have the customary responses omitted and as we begin the reading of the Passion, I invite you to remain seated. The Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. 
Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of, of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they all shouted, they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You see to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe, twisting together the crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. Then kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Please stand together. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, The man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it in a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. Come, Holy Spirit, as we turn to the preaching of the Word of God. Holy Spirit, come and overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, that what is said and what is heard is in accordance to the Word of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of God's people. Holy Spirit, come and do your work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're still standing with me this morning, you may be seated. We're going to talk a little bit here this morning uh, about the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That event that we celebrate, that event that begins Holy Week. It's actually something that uh, we tend to know so well. We know the basic outline, we know the basic story, but sometimes what we actually see is this concept that familiarity breeds contempt. And, and not contempt in the way that we despise the thing with which we're so familiar, but contempt in that we miss out on what's actually happening, what's being told and what's being proclaimed, that we, we miss the message because we know it so well. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, we read St. Matthew's account of this event, this event in which Jesus is revealed to be king. That's what's happening here in this triumphal entry. It's not just a cute story about little kids waving palms. It's not just a great story about Jesus riding on the back of a donkey. This is a proclamation, a prophetic action of Jesus revealing himself to be king. But in this very action, he's revealing that he is a different kind of king. And his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. We'll remember, of course, that the people of Judea, the people of historic Israel, had been looking for a king for a very long time. They'd been looking for a king, an individual who would come, that would bring with him justice and deliverance. 
Sometimes this individual, this person, was referred to as Messiah or anointed one. This, this king would come and he would overthrow the oppressors of the people of Israel. He would come and he would reestablish God's reign, God's physical kingdom upon the earth. Jesus, in riding a donkey down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, and then up to the Temple Mount, he's necessarily proclaiming that he is, he was and is, the fulfillment of that longing and that desire. As Matthew points out, this action was fulfillment of prophecy, prophecy that looked forward to that coming king. St. Matthew leans upon the Old Testament prophecies from which Jesus himself was operating, and the crowds were understanding. The first passage from the Old Testament to consider is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and the second is Isaiah 62, 11. In Zechariah 9.9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This little passage from Zechariah chapter 9 is actually a call to worship. It's a call to worship as a response to the arrival of an individual, the arrival of the king. This king, Zechariah promises, this king whose arrival should be responded to with worship, with uh, rejoicing greatly, with shouting aloud, this king is righteous. He's lawful and he's just, he's correct. Everything he does is good and right. this, This righteous king is also the one who sets the law, who makes the rules. He's said to have salvation. And we read that, Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation as he. We can actually understand that he has salvation in two ways. First, it could be understood that the king himself has been saved. And second, it could be understood that this king will be the saving and delivering agent for his people. Uh, Scholar Walter Kaiser, uh, the president of the seminary to which I attended when I was there, he's commented that it is probably to be understood in both ways. That this righteous king riding upon a donkey coming into Jerusalem whose arrival results in worship, this king will be delivered from death and in turn will reveal himself to be the deliverer. This gentle, oh, sorry, this righteous and saving king is also referred to as, as humble or gentle. The king himself is one who has experienced affliction and trial. And he comes riding on a donkey. Now there's, there's more to this riding on a donkey than just it being the preferred mount of princes and kings. I'll come back to this idea in a minute. For now, let's see that Jesus is claiming to be the king of Zechariah chapter 9. He rides upon the donkey. He enters into the city of Jerusalem, and with him comes righteousness and salvation, even as he faces and endures the trials. Let's not get this, let's not get confused, let's not get mixed up. This is not an accident that Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem. He is proclaiming, here comes the king. Why? Because here comes Jesus. Now, in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11, we read, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. In Hebrew, the word salvation is yesha. And I mention this because in Hebrew, Jesus' name is Yeshua, 
which essentially means God is salvation. In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11, salvation is personalized. Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him. Right? Your salvation is the one who has the reward. His reward is with him. The salvation is him. You see what I'm getting at here? Salvation, then, at least in this verse, is connected to a person. And as Jewish Jesus believer David Stern has pointed out, a person who is salvation must necessarily be God. It's even then in the king's name, if I can make this linkage for us, Yeshua, God is salvation. If we put Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, together with Isaiah 62, 11, and then we look at Jesus riding on a donkey, we see that Jesus is that long-expected king connected to God in a unique and special way and who brings salvation. It's an action that shouts, Here comes the king! Here comes the deliverer! Here comes the one who is mighty to save! That's exactly how the crowd saw it. The crowds cheered, the crowds shouted, the crowds praised. They shouted out, Hosanna, which literally means save us. And who were they shouting it to? They were shouting it to Jesus. They shouted out bits of scripture from Psalm 118, which we read this morning. This reflects their belief that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the long-awaited king, who would come and deliver them from their oppressors and establish God's kingdom upon earth. When Jesus rides on a donkey down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, and up the Temple Mount. As Jesus does this, he's proclaiming that he is the king. And the crowd recognized what was happening. The crowd recognized what Jesus was proclaiming, and the crowd cried out to him for help, for deliverance. But this begs the question, what kind of king would Jesus be? There's no doubt that Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the king, but he's showing himself to be a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. And let me see if I can explain this a bit by going back to that donkey. As I said, the the donkey was the preferred means of transportation for, for princes, for kings, for leaders. But what I left unsaid is this. The donkey was a preferred mount for princes, kings, and leaders as they mingled peacefully with their people. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem not as a conquering general astride a war horse at the head of an army geared for battle, but rather as a king at peace whose power is exercised in different ways. Remember, the Jewish people of Jesus' day, they were looking for another sort of David. They were looking for a warrior that would come to kill all their enemies and let God do the sorting. They were expecting a Messiah King to come with what Robert Farrer Kappen says calls straight-line power, where you use the force you need to get the result you want. But through the course of his ministry, and as he entered into Jerusalem upon the back of a donkey, Jesus has consistently refused to shock and awe. Shock and awe, or rapid dominance, is a military strategy that is based on the use of overwhelming power, dominant battlefield awareness, dominant maneuvers, and spectacular displays of force. That's straight-line power. That's right-handed power. But this isn't the kind of king Jesus proclaimed himself to be. He sat on the back of a donkey. 
Now, Jesus declared himself to be the king that would exercise what Martin Luther once called left-handed power, power that looks like weakness, vulnerability, service, and suffering. Jesus is turning the human notion of what it means to be king on its head. He's a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. Most kings sit upon the throne of their city, demanding to be served, but Jesus entered the city to serve. He entered his city to rule, but not through the exercise of sheer power, or the will to power. Human kings had armies that fought for them. Human kings sent others to die on their behalf, but in this, the many died for the one. But Jesus is the king who dies for his people. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem in control as the king with the purpose of the cross before him. The one died for the salvation of the many. As we heard read this morning from Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This paradox of Jesus and the exercise of his kingly power is reflected upon by St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians when he writes about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' exercise of kingly authority, kingly power, may not look like power in the eyes of the world. But as Capon has said it, it is in fact the only thing in the world evil can't touch. Jesus is the king, but he is a different kind of king who exercises his power through service, love, and the suffering of violence. And the question then becomes, if this is the king, what then does the kingdom over which he rules look like? In his book, Kingdom Conspiracy, author Scott McKnight states, the character of the king determines the character of the kingdom. And again, let's not be mistaken here. Jesus is the king, and just because he does, he has chosen to exercise his power and authority in a manner which makes no sense to the world, that does not lessen his kingliness. If Jesus, the king, and, and, and if Jesus is the king, and he rejects his straight-line power of shock and awe of military, political, or any other type of right-handed power and will to authority, then those who are his kingdom people are to reject the same. In fact, if we return our attention to the letter uh, to the Philippians, specifically chapter two, starting at verse four, Saint Paul writes, "Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' kingly reign and rule is cruciform, 
The exercise of his authority is in the shape of the cross. And so the people over whom Jesus reigns and rules are to be cruciform as well. We are to be in the shape of a cross. But what does that mean? Well, at the very least, being cross-shaped in our life and our living means loving our neighbors as ourselves. It necessarily means seeing the other in full light. This necessarily means refusing straight-line power in relationships with others. This necessarily means the refusal of the will to power, the will of self, of rapid dominance. Instead, this means, cruciform life means looking to the interests and needs of others. And now, in the midst of a time of worldwide pandemic and crisis, Jesus' kingdom people care for the needs of others. Being wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Being a part of a different kind of kingdom with a different kind of king means we are committed to that which the king has given. Even and especially when it looks weird to the world around us. The world around us encourages us to look after yourself, look after your own interests, dominate, fight over toilet paper with a little old lady who just needs a, a role. We proclaim we can't spare a square, and yet we, here we are with Charmin Ultra Gentle in a super mega role. The cruciform life following after the king, who is the upside-down king, a different kind of king, means... We look for the interest of others. means we act weird because we're willing to suffer so that another might have. We're willing to go without so that another may go with. It means being committed to a peculiar people, Jesus' people, the church. And it means trusting the king of the kingdom well above and well beyond trusting in the worldly attempts to exercise power. Folks, Jesus is the king. Jesus is going to deliver you before any government can ever save you. Jesus will deliver you and save you because he is the king of the cosmos. It is in him that we should be placing our trust for ultimate salvation, for deliverance, for true and abiding life. Especially now, in a time of crisis, in a time of pandemic. Because being a part of Jesus' kingdom means that Jesus is king and that his reign and his rule in our lives takes priority over any and every other claim of authority. We can never lose sight of this. Jesus is the king. He rides into what we call Holy Week upon the back of a donkey, a prophetic action, declaration that he is king. He's just a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. And praise be to God, because in Jesus, this different kind of king, we can have life. We can be transformed, and we can then make life in him known to others. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we respond to the preaching of the sermon, we do so by saying together the Apostles' Creed. You'll find it printed in your service booklet at the bottom of page 8. Let's stand. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. As we turn to offer our prayers to our Lord this morning, we do so first by acknowledging our sin, by confessing and repenting, and seeking forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Dearly beloved, the scriptures teach us to acknowledge that our to acknowledge our many sins and offenses, not concealing them from our Heavenly Father, but confessing them with humble and obedient hearts, that we may obtain forgiveness by His infinite goodness and mercy. We ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before Almighty God, but especially when we come together in His presence to give thanks for the great benefits we have received at His hands, to declare His most worthy praise, to hear His holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things which are necessary for our life and our salvation. Therefore, draw near with me to the throne of heavenly grace. And let us confess our sins using the form of confession found on the bottom of page 9. Praying together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, desires not the death of sinners, but that they may turn from their wickedness and live. He has empowered and commanded his ministers to pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardons and absolves all who are who truly repent and genuinely believe his holy gospel. For this reason, we beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that our present deeds may please him, and rest and the rest of our lives may be pure and holy, and that at the last we may come to his eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us say together the prayer our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our supplications and responses are found at the top of page 11. O Lord, show your mercy upon us and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness and let your people sing with joy. O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Almighty and everlasting God, 
In your tender love for us, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and come to share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins. Banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will. And steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We pray uh, this morning for all sorts of uh, social conditions. We pray for those whom we know and love who are ill. We pray for those who are in the medical professions. We pray for trustfulness in times of worry and anxiety as we pray for industry and economy. First, let us pray uh, for times of social distress. Increase, O God, the spirit of neighborliness among us, that in peril we may uphold one another, in suffering tend to one another, and in homelessness, loneliness, or exile befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended, and you again give peace in our time through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just add to this prayer, if I may be so bold, to simply pray, Lord, in this time of social distress, may our lives be cruciform. May we look more like Jesus, our King, as we are his people. Let us pray for the recovery of those who are sick, um, dealing with all kinds of illnesses and physical ailments. Almighty and immortal God, giver of life and health, we implore your mercy for your servants. Dot, Jane, Sally, Keith, Forrest, Nancy, Betts, Joe, Marlene, Nathaniel, Jack Ryan, Judy, Seth and Kathy, Brant, Helen, Joyce, John, Patty, Caleb K, Lori, Gracie, Randy, Dave, Craig, Alice, Melissa, June, Hal, Sue, Mike, Sally, Bob, the Church at Liberty Square, and any others that you may now name. That by your blessing upon them and upon those who minister to them with your healing gifts, they may be restored to health of body and mind according to your gracious will and may give thanks to you in your holy church through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for the medical professionals who are serving so diligently and working so hard. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, went about doing good and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. Continue in our hospitals his gracious work among us. Console and heal the sick. Grant to the physicians, nurses, and assisting staff wisdom and skill 
diligence and patience. Prosper their work, O Lord, and send down your blessing upon all who serve the suffering through Jesus Christ our Lord. In these times of worry and anxiety, we're going to pray for trustfulness as we also pray for those who are discouraged and downcast for whatever reason. Most loving Father, you will us to give thanks to all for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all who care on the one who cares for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and, the, and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal, and which you have manifested unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. O God, Almighty and merciful, you heal the brokenhearted and turn the sadness of the sorrowful to joy. Let your fatherly goodness be upon all whom you have made. Remember and pity all those who are this day destitute, homeless, elderly, infirm, forgotten, without work, suffering. Bless the multitude of your poor. Lift up those who are cast down. Mightily befriend innocent sufferers and sanctify to them the endurance of their wrongs. Cheer with hope all who are discouraged and downcast and by your heavenly grace preserve from falling those whose poverty tempts them to sin. Though they be troubled on every side, suffer them not to be distressed. Though they are perplexed, save them from despair. <clears throat> Grant this, O Lord, for the love of him who for our sakes became poor, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. O Lord Jesus, we pray for the economy, we pray for commerce, we pray for industry, and we pray for the unemployed. Jesus, in your earthly life, you shared our toil and hallowed our labor. Guide those who maintain the commerce and industries of this land, and give to all who labor pride in their work a just reward, and joy both in supplying need and serving you, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, world without end. And we remember before you, Heavenly Father, those who suffer want and anxiety from lack of work. Guide the people of this land so to use our public and private wealth that all may find suitable and fulfilling employment and receive a just reward for their labor through Jesus Christ our Lord. In times of stress, in times of worry, in times of crisis, there are many questions that, that people have. And so we pray for uh, the mission of Jesus' church to proclaim the gospel of the King who suffered and died, who rose again to make us his kingdom people. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love in the, on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. We will conclude our prayers this morning by saying a prayer of St. John Chrysostom. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions, as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. All of our problems we send to the cross of Christ. All of our difficulties we send to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works we send to the cross of Christ. And all of our hopes we set on the risen Christ. May Christ, the Son of Righteousness, shine upon you and scatter the darkness from before your path. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Amen.
Before we dismiss this morning, just a reminder, we will have midday prayer on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Our Holy Week services begin on Thursday night with Maundy Thursday at 6 p.m. Continues on Friday with Good Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have a Holy Saturday service at noon on Saturday, and we will celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 9 a.m. on Easter morning, Sunday, April 12th. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. God bless you and keep you.